Wild Honey Collective curates conversations that affirm our right to be at home in the world, in our bodies, and in relationship. We believe that we discover who we are and where we come from when we venture beyond the boundaries of the familiar and explore the wild frontiers of imagination, relationship, and lineage. And we hope that like the worker bee, when we honor our work as sacred, we become pollinators of personal sovereignty in a greater scheme of collective cooperation that supports sustenance and life. So join us here at the edge of what we are here to discover. Nidhi Vinod is a PhD in plant science at the University of California, Los Angeles, as well as the co-founder of the organization we both helped to create, Soil Cycles, a bicycle-powered food scrap collection service whose goal was to reduce the food waste of businesses and homes in our community of Harrisonburg, Virginia, by composting. Nidhi is an artist, entrepreneur, community organizer, rock climber, activist, and all-around badass force of nature. Our conversation maps her journey from the broad scale of worldwide wandering to the microscopic study of plant function at their most cellular level, and what the space in between can teach us about love, resilience, human nature, and massive eco-social change. Nidhi, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you as one of our very first guests to kick off this show. Yeah, yeah, it's such a pleasure that um, to be here and that it's really amazing that you're doing this. I think this will flourish into so many thoughts, lessons, and community building and everything we want to see in the world. Thank you so much. And your support means everything to me. Well, I want to start on a question that is kind of just about introduction. Mm -hmm. How we define ourselves to the outside world is an important part of what we are exploring on the show. We know that we have already been defined by the outside world according to the narrow scope of who we are in relation to the default identifiers in society, white, able-bodied masculinity, and understood through our economic value. So my first question is, who are you in this moment on your own terms? Mm. If you can introduce yourself to us a bit in the unfolding of who we are collectively in this moment and who are you? Yeah. That's a very important question because I think um, we all go through layers of transformation to answer that question to ourselves and also to the world. And mm -hmm. perhaps we reach a point or perhaps we don't, but I think that I have come to a point where, where I can tell who I am now um, mm. and can explain to you about that through actually my um, timeline of transformation to this point. Um, so who am I and what am I to this world? That question is important. And through several layers, starting with when I came to the US, I thought, okay, I'm, this, I'm from India and I need to look a certain way, behave a certain way in order to fit into the, at the time, white community, white space of James Madison University that I was in. <laughs> so I would try to dress a certain way and thought, okay, this is nitty, but did not feel happy in that, in that mindset or thought. Then I think when I met you, I met like our community, I thought, okay, I am Nidhi from India, but I have a lot of like culture in me. So this is who I am. Um, and started feeling a little 
better in in accepting that okay I came from a certain place from a certain land from certain practices from certain culture and now I feel comfortable in accepting who I am and then later down the road I still did not entirely feel comfortable in that answer I knew I love plants and I knew I'd love people and um, I want to be gentle and kind in this world but still like couldn't answer who who I was to myself or the world so I read a book called um, research is ceremony which is mm. indigenous research methods and there's a lot of emphasis on how else to do science how else to do research and how has this been done in different communities then I thought to myself okay I'm actually indigenous to India maybe I'm like also an indigenous person somewhere and so I asked my sister I was like do you think that we are we came from this ancestral community right like we were all farmers do you think we're indigenous to this land and she was like Niri I don't know you can think about it in that way which makes sense because we are um we came from you know this farmer community where our past nine generations of our families were farmers and lived with the land and their whole day was farming and like feeding the community so she was like you can associate yourself as that but for me I am really just a soul in a body that takes me out of any material identity which is like either country either a border either like the world but my sister was like I'm a spiritual being in this material body and that's who I am and mm -hmm. I think that through moving from place to place, having visited 14 countries and seeing how our world is always ever-changing, culture is ever-changing, sometimes there's good culture, bad culture, and how we continue to change as bodies itself, I, I think I think on the lines of my sister now that I am a spirit soul in a body that was given to me that you know I didn't ask to be brown with black hair I just you know got this body and I now I, I identify myself as something deeper and now I know like okay I, I love plants I love people and I want to connect with everyone on the realm of we're all spirit souls in different bodies that's even with like a squirrel <laughs> yeah so that's who I am now oh hello nitty soul <laughs> how nice to be here with you thank you and yeah thank you for bringing Mendy's voice in it's so beautiful to draw on our younger siblings and our like the younger people in our lives to ask for reflections about who we are Mm -hmm. So, Mendy, if you're listening, thank you for your wisdom. <laughs> so, we explore the intersections of land, health, wealth, and personal sovereignty a lot on this show as well. And we're seeing many injustices at the intersections of these elements. Wherever we see the needs of the privileged met, we see the less privileged extracted from in order to make it possible. We all know we need better systems and a better world. How do you see this for the future? How should we design future systems in your opinion? Hmm. Yeah, um, I think to even design future systems, we need to, we need to move our thought frame to to a realm that provides a foundation for what justice means, what we mean by justice. And, um, and I think that through, through re I've read really amazing authors like James Baldwin, I've read about Harriet Tubman and so many really amazing people that have given me the opportunity to ask why, why, why in, on every level of what it means to have justice in the world. And 
through that process, I think I have now come to a place where I can like imagine a future with a foundation. And I can explain to you what I mean by that. I think that we have to build a foundation that connects all human beings and all living creatures. And the way we can imagine building that is having very basic understanding of ourselves in this world, in relation with the forests, the world that we live in, but also understand that we are more than what just appears to be. So I can just like, in order to design and imagine a future, I can illustrate three points that that would be key in my mind. Um, yeah. The first thing is, um, I think we have to understand that we are not permanent on earth, that we have a certain lifespan and we have to design everything around us based on that timeline, which is how people have always done. Like we think of like um, houses, like straw houses or houses in desert and caves and and you can you can see that people build with whatever is existing not imagining that this will live permanently though there are also pyramids that do live permanently but to ourselves we have to understand that we are we are limited in that and so any sort of like struggle which is like an idea of success that I need to be the best I need to own this much money will all die away when we don't exist and that gives us a, an opportunity to then simplify our lives the second is in many many cultures across the world we see a common theme of the spirit and then the body like you can take you can name any culture and you know that we are beyond what we look like that and therefore we can respect and love every creature every everything that has consciousness that is that's in our surrounding based on spirit and based on a deeper like perhaps a soul connection and when we understand and see each other as that central force then we see a commonality among all of us we, we can then see that even a squirrel deserves to live or you know or you know human with whatever body type deserves to be respected deserves good life basic necessities and that's how we need to relate and so justice is basically needs to be built on that everything that own has a spirit deserves to live and that's how we relate and so all other things fall apart which means like anything that's based on country injustice anything that's based on body injustice anything that's based on like privilege all of those are absolutely then become injustice by themselves because they are not um supporting the basic force of life which is the spirit to live in this world then the third one is we have to understand that we have um these 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 characters in us with where james baldwin says you can be you know that that violent person you can be that policeman uh, who's just like going about killing people and in your heart you have to decide that you're not going to be that that you're going to come from a place of love and that is something that you know our elders always taught us that you know like always choose the path of love choose the path of kindness choose the path of self you know knowing yourself within the world kind of view instead of selfishness or greed or wanting to take more than you need so we need that foundational understanding that we choose love we choose each other we choose community and we decide to live together in this world um, and not on a selfish path and that's like the third thing and with these i think these this is just a starting point for a conversation 
with these simple things, we can imagine how many structures then need to be changed. For example, education. We prepare students only for their benefit. Like we just imagine education to be this path where you just get, you know, move towards making money, getting your house, having children, and you're just on your own singular path. But can we think about it differently that your relation is dependent on other people's well-being as well so when we think about it in terms of love in terms of kindness in terms of community instead of greed and selfishness we will redesign everything that then doesn't make sense so that's that's what i i imagine as being the foundation and with that we can go so many directions take out so many of the injustices that we now see as injustices and have education that trains people to find themselves to like find their own purpose to find their own curiosity and then become part of a close-knit community where then you decide okay i love farming so this is my role in the community or i love engineering this is my role in the community and mm. not based on you know extraction money selfishness greed that i need to be better than others sort of mentality so that's my first idea for design amelia that is right that is just a really spiritual answer and you're talking about transformation of every model that most of us have ever had for how we treat each other. And so if I'm listening to this and following the conversation, the next thing I'm thinking is, okay, so what choices has this person made based on these like spiritual commitments to kindness and seeing the soul in everything that lives and has awareness? What does daily life look like for this person so you're soon to start your phd at ucla which has been a long-term dream of yours and you've had this goal for such a long time but your path to it has been winding and adventurous you've been a traveler you've co-founded a nonprofit composting project you have been an artist and a climber and an active voice in your community, as well as a traditional student. Can you talk about your experience weaving together experiential learning in formal edu education as we consider it in Western culture and where you think each one has helped you grow the most? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely the right phrase that he used winding path <laughs> Ex explains my journey um where do i even start so the question is what has provided most growth yeah especially with your own interpretation of how you learn in this world and what it is that you want to learn yeah i think that um um, a combination of spiritual and also a combination of my family, my ancestors um, has helped me remain true to my intuition, remain true to what love means in myself and what I want to see in the world has, um, has helped me carve the path that I find myself in today. And I can start with it by, by my fascination for plants through my family. So we were, for over 10 generations, we always, our routine was to grow plants. And my granny would talk about her father, like not even having transportation and walking around in the village having lunch in people's houses coming back growing things and it was always a community thing because everyone needs to be involved to grow food for each other um so she sees immense joy in this simple style of living um and she would always tell me that like 
we didn't have a lot of money but we need we had everything that we needed like we had abundance of food we had clothes we had drama in the villages and like drama as in like theatrical uh, people would perform and the only thing we needed money was for salt so that give gave me an imagination that you know when we have everything that we need on like the most foundational basic level we don't really really need money uh because mm-hmm. we have each other so that was really inspiring and she her love i think my parents' love for plants or in an everyday conversation whether like all the children sitting together having to peel these harvests or making oil and going to the garden and finding medicine for asthma or these conditions just penetrated into me so deep that it allowed me to expand into my own love for plants and find mm-hmm. myself through it um but you know like there was always a disassociation in my education where in english like english poems we would read about the daffodils or the tulips we would read about trees that don't even grow in my community so all the plants that i knew were in telugu or my native language so i always craved deeply to to want to learn more about plants but that was not entirely available for me in my education um because it was following this western science book and moving towards that path which was divergent from my own reality so mm-hmm. so that's where my fascination for plants grew but it was certainly like not easy to just to just follow that path and it became windy because i didn't have a lot of money i had to kind of fetch for myself so i came to the us to study and the first year was extremely hard cuz i had a back accident there was a lot of racism i was in an apartment that was put put that the university put me in um because they were afraid i was going to sue them for this back accident i would tell students that i would pay you i can pay you 8 dollars so you can just help me you know pick things up around my house cuz i cannot bend my back is broken and i had mm-hmm. some support but very little support and i felt like if i died in this room no one would know mm-hmm. and and i and i think i would just look at the moon and see how else i wanted to be in this world then i decided i'm going to go travel and with whatever i had i had 200 for 100 dollars and i just like dropped out and i left and my intention was that i will show unconditional love to anyone around me and i made like hundreds of greeting cards that i would give out to everyone like the baker who made me food or the person with whom i stayed like all of them these cards to basically show appreciation and kindness that i didn't receive in in harrisonburg mm-hmm. um but through that path i i saw that love is the most binding force that changes any injustice that moves through um any any systematic thing that's put in place to de- devalue people so people that i met through my travels only helped me grow my plant love through their plant love and these were like common people you know in 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 small cities people living on hills someone fishing they really enhanced my my deep love for plants but it was never separate from the community itself so my desire grew to to really learn this and in order to do that i had to come back to the us i had to pay for my whole education i received some help from amazing sk who's my friend but it was it was never easy it i it pushed me to such a hard place in life 
that I that I really had to tell myself that if the systems are not made for me there is something more and that is like the spiritual side when you and and I think that's where I started to dream when I when I realized that the systems are not made for me but the world is made for me the universe is made for me and that everything around me wants me to live like the air the oxygen from trees the abundance of food wants me to live and that's why I'm alive today and and that's how I made my path to UCLA um just believing in that thread believing in my deep love for one another and in knowing that plants will create abundance and knowing plants will allow me to create abundance in ways I don't even know yet but just following that path for love is how I ended up here and I think with this with this knowledge with the PhD of knowing plants very intricately um, there are so many opportunities like everything that you are doing everything that people in Harrisonburg are doing with trees like supporting one another yeah it will only branch out to change education that I want to see um, being changed and allow people to grow plants more easily, bringing access to land and those sort of things. That's right. Yeah. So I think all of them in ways that I didn't expect have provided growth, whether that has been, been through seeing my struggle and connecting to other people's struggle or moments of feeling off for plants with people and finding right people at the right time. I think every single thing that crosses our paths and my paths provides a sense of growth. We just need to be open while following what we deeply love and things will open. Yeah. And it's so amazing to see the growth that you were able to experience through things that were a great weight that could have easily been overwhelming and were. But, you know, when a seed is pushed deep, deep, deep underground, then the seed waits until the conditions are right to sprout and grow. And it could be 5,000 years sometimes. <laughs> but the, the mystery of life is that it keeps going. And I think it's really easy to talk about, you know, hope and faith when we are well. But when we have the conviction to continue trying, when we are struggling the most and when we aren't receiving support from around us, then that is really, I think, a testament to, yeah, strength of your soul in the larger scheme of what's what's meant for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Having hope and faith is like, the key for any sort of change, whether that's in our life or the world around. Yeah, you're right. So thank you for that beautiful answer and for sharing more about your story. I wanna ask you now more about the really specialized knowledge that you are developing around plant physiology, um, the chemistry of how plants um, function within their bodies and within their environments and ecological relationships. What do you think we can learn from plants about understanding our place within a wider web of living relationships and also our own bodies? Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, could you repeat that again? Yeah. So your lifelong partnership with plants has evolved into a really complex knowledge of their physiology, their body chemistry, and relationships in ecology. 
what do you think we can learn from this really specialized knowledge about plants, about our own bodies, and about a wider web of living relationships? Yeah. Um, I think one thing that is absolutely, like, visible with plants is the existence of plant around us symbolizes abundance by itself and physiologically we can understand that by how a leaf functions how a plant functions and we've all seen like plants growing in between concrete growing in like poisonous soil growing mm -hmm. you know in places where we wouldn't imagine life to flourish but they absolutely do And that is abundance and like I said physiologically the ability to take the most energetic force of this world which is sunlight and most abundant source and to convert it um, through photosynthesis into sugar is is a process that happens every single day day and night which by making sugar sustains the whole world and that process itself is the life force for the whole earth to be you know basically surviving and living shows us that there is intuitive abundance but but we always imagine the world in a way of scarcity that that's a problem because scarcity scarcity isn't really a thing when you think about how plants are are grown in the most intuitive way for example like my granny the best way she knows to grow plants is through agroforestry which is pairing plants and growing trees growing crops in a small space in a land that gives you the most yield and also sustains the soil and brings in all other life forms like the birds and the bees and she never thought about this as like you know this is the most sustainable thing so this is what I'm going to do no she for her this is like intuition this is like this is what works has always worked best for 10 generations <laughs> so I'm going to do this and there you see that like in a such a small space there is absolutely abundance um, but when we when we do monoculture cropping we just plant the same kind we we <laughs> till the soil we remove all the organic matter that is scarcity and that scarcity is coming from a place of greed of wanting more and more and more and more by not understanding what is actually happening so so by understanding that plants by themselves are are abundant we can we can understand that our relation to plants is also based on understanding ourselves in relation to them mm, you know? that's it that is it Yeah, so in understanding that we cannot expect, we cannot be greedy and just expect the fruit, we can understand that, you know, we have to be patient, we have to be, we have to be intuitive and intentional in, in allowing the plant to flourish and learning slowly about its processes. We can not only learn about ourselves, but we can also then start seeing abundance in our lives through food and through happiness through life but also see that that's how the plant best flourishes so mm -hmm. that's that's one of my lessons <laughs> from like the most simple process of photosynthesis in this world where light is taken and water is taken and there's co2 all these things exist and the plant makes it into sugar an apple tree makes it into so many apples we can hardly eat all the apples if you have an apple tree you can hardly eat all the oranges if you have an orange tree so that is abundance and that requires sharing um so mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> that that image of your grandmother just like continuing the line of intuitive language and receptivity that has always been 
the way that people have tended the land reminds me of something that we were talking about before we started recording, which is this idea of the way that people often are at a loss for language of connection when there's not a really clear protocol that they're already familiar with, including like, who are you already familiar with being in conversation with? People who look a certain way, people who act a certain way that you identify with or that you feel comfortable with. And I feel like what you're saying about the way that your grandmother is receptive to the messages from the plant that show her, this is what helps me grow. This is what grows the soil. This is what spurs other relationships with the bees and with the pollinators and with the humans that want to eat and the seeds that will be carried on until the next generation. We can learn from that in how we interact with strangers and how we interact with people in our neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're brand new in one of the biggest cosmopolitan cities in our country and and in the world, LA. And so, I mean, how have you been carrying that lesson into being new in that place and exploring this place that's going to be your home for the next six years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think I talked about like recognizing each other as more than the body as like spirits um as soul as people with stories people having lived a certain life gives me the curiosity to to i think to feel like everyone around me i'm in a relationship with everyone around me and everyone is so dear to this land is so dear to this to this world and it has very like beautiful stories whatever those are so that's how I move about <laughs> and in that process I have met some like very simple people that have that have such big hearts and that really re-establish re- my my connection to the world like for example there's Persian Square and I always talk to the people selling things or the market owner and um, two people, two different people from Iran. One person gave me free pistachios because we were talking about the need for patience in our life as I was waiting for this person to open up the store and figure out, you know, early morning duties. And he was like, you know, welcome to this land. Like you are, you're a wonderful human and and here, you know, take these pistachios. These are fresh pistachios that we got today. And that to me was like, oh my gosh, that is so sweet. And I have, um, I've developed a deeper connection with you. And I've had many stories like that with another Persian um, Iranian um, grandfather who gave me a CD so I can learn Farsi and we can talk in Farsi and (laughs) and um just so many like intricate connections that that are born out of spontaneity and and I was walking and I saw this fig tree and I saw this person standing next to it and I said oh my gosh, the figs are so beautiful. And this person is a Spanish speaker from Oaxaca, moved here a while ago. And we started talking about figs. We started talking about what it is to to connect to people. And he was like, you know, I'm seeing that people have less and less confidence in each other in this newer generation. But when I came here, we just had to do things together. We had to build a community. And, and that was really important for me to hear because I see from this like older person's, elder person's perspective that we need to be, we need to trust each other. We need to have relationships that are deeper than just, you know, give and take. And, and I think that's how I have been moving around and learning about many people. And I met, I've met some fantastic people, Cindy and Candy, who are um, 
ancestrally from Mexico and have been LA natives, have been born and raised here, and they have such big hearts. And we talk about these things, the need for community and connection that will help us all grow together all the time. So my lesson from that is when we see each other as people having stories as being more than what the body provides sight for, then when then we open up a whole world of of curiosity, of learning, of developing connections. That is rich. That is wealth. Yeah, yeah, that I feel like that is the wealth I want to have and want to grow with. <laughs> Absolutely. And it sounds like you're already quite rich. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. When when we have good people around us, we're always going to be rich. There's no poverty there. <laughs> so you are starting a six year journey becoming a PhD in plant science, which is philosopher of plant science. That's what the P stands for, I'm told. So, you know, I'm asking you these questions about, you know, what we can learn from plants, but this is a serious inquiry that you're stepping into. And I imagine that you have some pretty big questions of your own that you're asking and trying to continue asking through your education. Can you tell us about like where your mind is in that inquiry process in the discipline as they call it in academia of yeah, being curious about, well, I would, I should say deeply curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the way I relate to my PhD is learning um, more methods to pursue curiosity and love and fascination for the plant world. Um, So as of now, I don't have like a set topic that I'm going to be digging into for six years, but I think my PhD is going to be more on like a project basis where I can first start with something that I'm curious about. Like right now, we're figuring out, can we understand forests from an ecosystem perspective and understand like what is happening, what has happened for the past five years, what will continue to happen during climate change through big data. So that's one of my projects that I'm starting with. I'm curious about how forests have functioned for five, six years in the past and will continue to. What can we learn? How can we understand this? Um, So that's one of my questions. Then I'm also really fascinated by the anatomy of a leaf, of plants. So I'm curious about the hair on the leaf because we just we can look at a leaf and think that you know the hair would not have any significance like might not be contributing anything but actually there's a whole world of what the hair does it um, for example like allows the leaf to to reduce water evaporation so it conserves water and in some cases like um like in hops you have these small hair that contribute to the beer taste so the hair have many many functions in many plants thank you hops hair (laughs) yeah so there there are many um many things many stories to learn from something that's so tiny appearing almost uh not visible at times so that's one of my curiosities and i feel a sense of awe and fascination for something so small but contributes so importantly to a whole structure of a plant Um, and then I'm also helping my fellow lab mates with um, something called cuticle conductance which is basically this like waxy layer on leaf but also 
contributes to evaporation and transpiration and we're trying to understand okay what is this how does this work um so that's my general question over there so my phd is more on a project basis like to learn methods to learn and follow curiosities and to share it with the world either through like publishing research paper which is really important for phd or talking to you like in this podcast or sharing it with friends and having really pretty pictures so (laughs) yeah so that's the that's the level and I'm sure like if you talk to me six years from now I will have a whole list of projects I would have finished um, that will give me a very intricate sense of how do plants function (laughs) we will be sure to have that conversation on the calendar for six years (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'll probably refer back to this and see what works and what didn't so yeah. Oh, yeah, so this is like going into the public service. Yeah, yeah. And my deep goal is is to make, um, to change education systems in a way where students can learn about themselves, what they're curious about, and not have this pressure of GPA, of grading. Uh, so that's one big goal that you can do when you are empowered with PhD. I don't know how yet, but um, and then you can always like, I want to go back to India and train students to come up with ideas to follow their curiosity in the plant world to contribute to the growth of forest, to, to, to grow food, to grow forest, to grow land. Uh, so coming in from that intentional perspective and facilitating growth is where I want to contribute and you will I cannot wait to see you have that PhD have doors to open for other students especially students who are denied loans because they're international students or people who feel like they've lost their chance to continue their education because they were working and their grades weren't good enough and you know, like that's not, that's not really education. That's just more yeah. privilege, like moving people through a system. And I can tell you from my own experience, Absolutely. education. That is not education. Yeah, you're right. Yes. And I, I've always felt a little disappointed with my experience in higher education because there wasn't a culture of questioning at all. It was just like achievement mm-hmm. and how well you can fit into the narrowly defined standards of achievement and it wasn't really intellectually stimulating I mean of course it was sometimes but overall yeah it's more like soul-sucking than it is like helping students grow and we want to see a world where people are collaborating doing what they absolutely love and becoming roles in a society not just thinking you know having this tunnel vision so Yes, we need a whole community to change that. And this is a good place to start yeah. <laughs> to think about it. Yeah. So everybody, you know, keep their eyes out for Nitty in the future if they're looking for <laughs> possibilities to opening doors. And I, I've known your um, intellectual and artistic pursuits in also the form of trying to like ask questions about what it is that allows the movement of people and what it is that allows people access to opportunity as we were just talking about. And one of the things that we've been exploring on this show that keeps returning is Miriam Kaba's idea that the power of imagination is in being able to travel while remaining rooted where you are. So you've been doing cultural work as an artist, as an intellectual and an organizer in insisting that we grow the capacity to imagine a world beyond our current limits and beyond our current limits of the imagination that perpetuate massive inequality in wealth, health and sovereignty. And Mm -hmm. to help each other expand our concept of what is possible, right? 
So where do you see the interconnections between what we can imagine and what is possible? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, I think that so much is absolutely possible, but in order for that possibility to happen, we have to teach children, we have to teach ourselves and unconditional love for one another to such an extent that that we will not withstand the dehumanizing of you know our neighbors of our community of our classmates that we will only continue to empower and allow everyone around us to flourish that's the level of I think the teaching that needs to happen and that can happen in education systems, that can happen in communities, can happen from elder, you know, elder people to younger people, that can happen while you're playing with your niece and teaching how important it is to love people around you unconditionally. And I see that being the spark when that spark reaches even to a political realm where people, you know, politicians are just not thinking about like, how am I going to make all this money? Instead are thinking about like unconditional love and supporting a community. Then we see that there is so much that is possible. Then we see that, okay, people need to move when things are not working out so migration of people is important in that play, in that in that you know condition because we want to support and help people grow from unconditional love and and i think that's where the spark begins but the spark also begins from our own hearts in our immediate surroundings where the ripples form and and that's why I think I practice, I practice even when I'm angry, I try to think about it as like, how can I make this about love? How can I turn anger to love? How can I allow the other person to see me as human? How can we always move on the pace of love and care instead of greed and anger and things not working out? So that's something that starts as as like individual responsibility, teaching one another, teaching each other, teaching a community. And I think when we start doing that, we imagine things on the scale of love, like education, how can we design education to really empower everyone, not think about money, my me making money. And the same with food, when we start thinking about like love and care for younger people, for older people, then we start designing structures, designing food systems based on this unconditional love for one another. And that's also where I see forests flourishing and climate change, perhaps, I don't know at this point if it's even possible to, but I think everything is possible so we can slow down even <laughs> climate change. <laughs> Um, so like, yeah, I think that is the point of change. That's how I see a whole system being reimagined coming from a deep responsibility to love and to love yourself, to love one another, to, to allow people to grow into themselves. And from there, I think that then we have so many amazing changes to create and and those those are pro- definitely possible. I don't know if I answered your whole question, Amelia. Yeah, you did. And that is like that is really a beautiful encapsulation of everything that we've been talking about. Do you have questions that you would like to touch on before we end our conversation today? Yeah, um because this is going to be one of the first podcasts, I'm curious about why did you start this? And um, yeah, why did you start this? What is your intention? Where do you see this going, like moving forward into? Um, Yeah, you can you can talk anything about about this about like and pick any points and we can talk about it. Thank you for asking that. 
it's something that I'm, I'm just really moved by the act of creation. And so this has been such a, an exciting journey to start putting out a little bit of myself into the world in a public sphere, but also through other people that I'm inspired by. And it feels like we're walking into the act of creation together. And I think for me, the pandemic was a very illuminating, um, it was, it illuminated the fact that I am deeply motivated by other people and I'm deeply committed to cultivating a community around me that has shared values and that is committed to work that mm -hmm. those values. And I really, I've written to myself a million times, like a list of qualities that I was searching for in the people who I call my friends and my teachers and my inspirations and my community. And those things were all about intellectual and artistic and activist expressions of our own values and how to live them. And that is the driving question of this podcast. And it seemed like a really, it seemed like a really accessible medium for trying to share the conversations that I'm getting to be a part of. And they reached a point where I was like, I just know so many people who I think are so inspiring. And I want to share this little microcosm of connections and help that grow into more of a collective that is unified together across space, across different places where we're all in the act of creation together and we can be in a conversation with each other through this listening space about you know all of the different ways that that can look because I think it's really important for me to help people um, grow their conviction that they can work in the world and express in the world from an authentic place that brings them happiness but is of service as well mm. and so all of the people that I interview encapsulate those qualities and they also speak to the kind of the model of the model that inspires this work which is the wild honeybees and these are female leadership structures that are both artistic and highly organized and highly specialized. And every, every individual has a role, but they trade off so that they can have rest. And they are all in service to the queen and into life itself because they're all helping to harvest the nectar that helps grow the next generation and that literally alchemizes flowers into one of the most magical substances known to earth, which is honey. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that that's a really powerful reminder of how we can develop our own unique contributions through our specialized roles that fits together so efficiently in a larger vision for sustenance but that the bees are always dancing like the waggle dance <laughs> is how they communicate to each other about where to find the flowers so mm -hmm. it's a reminder that that process of work is inherently beautiful and expressive and that's how I want to work and that's how I want to express my gifts. Such a privilege and such a pleasure to be on this podcast. So thank you for starting and doing the work of the podcast. Thank you, Nidhi. Thank you so much for sharing your voice and it was wonderful to have you. so much for listening. 
you appreciate this work, the simplest and easiest way to support it is by hitting that follow button on whatever platform you're listening, sharing it with your friends, and following us over on Instagram at wildhoney.collective. I love, love, love when you all give me your feedback, so message me on Instagram with your reflections and questions, or fill out the question form at wildhoneycollective.org. New episodes will come out every other week for all of season one through the end of January. But if you want to hear more, you can get your friends to follow wildhoney.collective on Instagram. And for every 100 new followers that I get, I'll post a bonus episode to celebrate. Last but not least, you can support the podcast on Patreon by becoming a monthly subscriber, which comes with added benefits, including merch rock the culture out in the world help us pollinate ideas for greater collective health and for all of you wild honeys out there keep creating